Scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. It is ravenous for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from, the face I, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You can see the picture that Gail did on the chalkboard for crouching. She was concerned that it might give some of your children nightmares. <laughs> it's a great picture, though, isn't it? From the beginning of our spiritual history as a people, we have seen, and we've read about it in uh, uh, Genesis here, the creation account, we have seen that God describes value and worth in an economy, a, a, a system of wealth that is based not on power or on knowledge or accumulating possessions or even on pleasure, but on relationships. 
And when God is removed from us, when we separate ourselves from God, sin's first impact was on relationships. When Adam and Eve rejected God and betrayed his love for them, the results caused deep harm to their relationship with one another. Separation from their creator frustrated every hunger in them that was designed to find its satisfaction in him. And God warned them that because of this, they would devour one another to satisfy their hunger for him. This, this week we find out in this story that the reverse is also true. If we harbor bitterness or hatred towards another person, it poisons our relationship with God. That God rejects worship offered in the context of bitterness and resentment against others. And it is surprising how all of us will go through periods in our life when, when resentment just seems to be a part of our life. It seems to get woven into our daily routine. We keep thinking of a person or a situation that we are in and we resent and we feel it growing in us. And it's surprising how many Christians battle with that on a regular basis. Resentment. The world's first brothers in today's story, the world's first brothers come together and meet to worship God. Cain brought an offering to the Lord out of the fruit of the ground, it says in verse 3. In verse 4, Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. The result in verses 4 to 5 is, And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, countenance fell, by the way, is a biblical way of saying uh, he was shame-faced. He was overwhelmed by shame. And he was downcast. The opposite of that is when the Lord promises to lift up your head. I will lift up your head. There are various reasons that I've read and heard preached presented for why God regarded Abel's offering but not Cain's. And ultimately, they're all a little unsatisfying because none of them have sufficient evidence in the text, in the story itself, to explain what exactly was going on. We have to try and read between the lines. One suggestion is that it was blood versus non-blood. In other words, vegetables versus a blood sacrifice or offering. The Old Testament teaches us that only blood sacrifices are acceptable for the forgiveness of sin. But these were not sacrifices as such. They were offerings. And the law does allow for, a matter of fact, it calls for non-blood-related thanks and worship offerings of grain 
and of wine poured out on an altar. So that's not necessarily the reason. Others have talked about the quality of gifts. There's a great deal of uh, verbiage spent on describing Abel's offering. First of all, it was from the firstlings. It was from the first fruits of his flock, the best of his flock. And not only that, but it was the fat portions, which were the choice portions of the choice animals of his flock. Cain's offering seems less discriminating and worthwhile since the fruit lacks any description or any words that kind of talk about this was his best effort and these were show-stopping vegetables. Like at the county fair. We don't know that though. It, doesn't, it, it really is not much information in the text to give us that idea. The quality of the heart offering the gifts is the possibility that shows the most promise because it is commented on not in the text that we read today, but in the New Testament, in Hebrews. The author of the epistle, of the letter to Hebrew believers in the New Testament says, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. So it was by faith, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. This still begs the question, what characterized Cain's Cain's actions and attitudes that made his offerings unacceptable or unfaithful. But it's something that Cain, it was less to do from what we read in Hebrews, it tells us that the nature of the, the problem was in Cain and not in the offering itself. We'll never fully, we'll never truly know uh, the specifics about Cain and Abel's actions and attitudes that were deemed faithful or unfaithful. We won't know because Cain refused to explore his relationship either with God or with his brother Abel any further than it was already. Instead, he reacted out of a spirit of a vicious sulk. He fed on his hurt and he nursed it from the flush of shame to the heat of anger, and then into an ice-cold, calculated hatred. And it came about that when they were in the field, and that's an important phrase, and it came about that when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now the phrase, in the field, is key evidence in Mosaic law that this was a premeditated crime. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, it speaks of rape. It's a different crime, but the same circumstances. If it is committed in the field, the idea is that in the field, they are out away from civilization, away from the tribe. They are out of range of help should they call for it. What's more, Cain was on Abel's turf. So it wasn't just a chance meeting. Cain went to find his brother in the field, a place where Abel felt safe. Having thought everything out carefully beforehand, Cain's icy bitterness set aside all bonds of brotherhood and affection, and he killed his own brother. Having swallowed Abel's blood like poison, the earth itself, which Cain helped nurse into life, 
now convulses in agony, cursing Cain for his crime and crying out to God for justice. And we are all moonstruck in this society about justice, aren't we? As long as it can be done without judging anybody, as long as it can be done without consequence, justice requires that real offense be addressed. When Cain stormed away from the altar, very angry and shamefaced, or a fallen countenance, and again, this basically means that in, he made excuses rather than seeking wisdom or forgiveness or grace. And this is, this is where everything begins to go downhill and, and, and very badly for us when, when our shame leads us to make excuses for ourselves, to see exception, and to look and to, to build a rationale of excuses rather than to seek wisdom. Well, why is my offering not right? To seek forgiveness or to seek grace. God came to Cain and confronted him with a question. I think it's interesting that all of God's confrontations with his image bearers and the stories that we've been reading start with a question and not with a thunderous condemnation. What my mother used to call lowering the boom. Anybody else, parents, ever use that phrase, lowering the boom? Oh, dear. Maybe one of those, yeah. Anyway, you didn't want, I'm not sure what the boom was, but you didn't want to be around when it was being lowered. That's all I know for a fact. The thing is that questions serve two purposes. They confront, definitely. But by their very nature, they invite a response. They expect and are looking forward to the beginnings of reconciliation. God's confrontations are invitations to repentance. They are not a sentence of doom. And interestingly enough, even when they are a sentence of doom, we read in the prophet Jeremiah that God says that if a nation that I have prophesied doom against, if they turn from their wickedness and they repent and they do what is right, I will repent of my judgment and they will be saved. God says, why are you angry? Why are you, why is your countenance fallen? Why are you stuck in shame? Why are you embracing your shame? Have you ever been to an office party or a family gathering when a seemingly small slight or word or act lights a very short fuse in somebody and they absolutely explode and everybody just stops and there's a moment of silence as they call kind of look and say, what, what in the world just happened? And nobody really knows why it happened. It's because it's the final straw on the back of someone already buckled under the weight of some secret shame or bitterness. And they collapse, or they explode, or they implode. Now I think, to me, that makes the most sense to explain this situation. 
A raw nerve in Cain has been exposed and bruised. Though God, not Abel, had rejected Cain's offering, it doesn't seem that Cain was angry at God. Cain's anger didn't lash out at God. As a matter of fact, Cain didn't answer God at all when God first started talking to him. That's not because Cain's respect or even fear of God kept him from speaking his mind. Because when God came after Cain had killed his brother and said, where is your brother? He had this cheeky and impudent response. Well, what is it, my day to tend the nursery? Abel makes it, Cain makes it clear that he doesn't have any concern for God's opinion of him. No, the rage he was nursing was already very focused, even obsessed with Abel. And when Cain lashed out, it was against Abel. Abel. But before that happened, God continued to question Cain, tried to talk him back from the ledge. If you do well, and by the way, if you're wondering about that passage in James that says, if those of you who are spiritual see a brother in sin that does not lead to death and call him back, that's what God is doing here. This is, that's what this means, is that you call them back from the ledge. So many people are so proud about how honest they are. And how God uses them to speak a word of truth boldly. And they use honesty like a blunt instrument. God here. This is God. If anybody has a right to be upset, it's God in all of this. And God continues to call out to Cain. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But Cain didn't ask, how can I do well? We can assume that he didn't ask how because he already knew what God wanted from him, which was to let go of his envy of his brother and his resentment to his brother and be reconciled to his brother. Cain's silence, his refusal to be drawn into a healing, correcting dialogue moved God to warn him, saying, if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Its desire, and again, that word desire, we talked about it last week. It is, it is a craving. It is a ravenous hunger for you. But you must master it. This crouching sin, not the sacrifice itself, this crouching sin is the crux of the matter. Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offerings. To me, it seems... Most likely that the sin of resentment was crouching at the door of Cain's heart and had been crouching there for some time. And it makes sense to me because it, it repeats itself over and over. Resentment against a brother or sister. A resentment against a pastor 
or a congregant. A, a resentment against a boss or a fellow worker. Resentments can grow and they grow like a cancer in a relationship and they are so toxic, they are so hard to root out. Instead of mastering it, Cain was nursing it until it mastered him. If there is something nasty and rotting sitting on the floor between us and God, worship is not some kind of holy throw rug that we can use to cover it up and to pretend it isn't there. Worship is not spiritual air freshener that we can use to cover up the smell of garbage that needs taking out. Cain had a cankerous grudge against his brother. And you know, like most grudges and most resentments, there was probably something in it. it <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all brothers. Most of us here are brothers and sisters to somebody, right? What? I didn't do anything. Well, of course you did. As soon as I hear a kid saying that, you know that they did. Just do something, only they did it in stealth mode. And, and the very saying of it torques off the brother or sister that they were pinching or doing whatever they were doing before. There's almost always something in what we have done to deserve a certain amount of hurt in the other person that can burn into resentment. It needs to be explored because there's no single cause, there's no single cure except to start communicating, to speak honestly, to say a word of truth without using that truth as a blunt instrument, hoping to bludgeon the other person unconscious so you can walk away feeling satisfied. But a word of truth that says, this is what hurt me and why, that leaves you vulnerable to them hurting you again, and invites them, once we start saying, I just happen to notice this sin in you, we, we, as I've said before, we break the truce. The basic truce that every religious person knows, I won't tell you about your sin if you won't tell me about mine. We have to take a risk to speak and to build, to try to build a bridge to conquer resentment. It may be a peace offering. It may be a word that speaks honestly and openly about the hurt that was felt. But it has to be, the only way to kill resentment is to return to that relationship and to start the process of restoring or building a bridge if it is possible. God continued to question Cain. Jesus said, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. It seems likely to me that this resentment had been there in Cain for a long time. Cain had a cankerous grudge against his brother. And no amount of religion would make the smell go away. And that, I believe, is why God couldn't honor his offering. And nothing to do with the offering. It had to do with Cain. It's funny, but we don't know anything about Abel outside of his occupation and that one offering. Nothing Abel did or was 
should have been Cain's concern. God didn't like Abel better. <laughs> when I was a kid, there was a, a, a comedy routine, The Smothers Brothers. And, and the retort of Tommy, the youngest, was always, Mom always liked you best. <laughs> There's none of that in this. All right? God didn't like Abel better. God wasn't measuring Cain against his brother. At that moment, at the altar, and in, at least in terms of the, of the offering, it was all about Cain. All about Cain and God. Only Cain's resentment made Abel important to this story. Cain's concern should have focused on pleasing God and doing what God would direct him to do and give him wisdom to do. God never said or even hinted, why can't you be more like Abel? That nagging voice of shame came from the sin that was skulking about the door of Cain's heart, slowly mastering Cain's will and poisoning his every thought. Instead, God was saying, do well, Cain. Come on, come back in. Let's just redo this. It's, it's, it's one day. There's lots of more days. Do well. Master your envious anger. Renounce your nagging shame. It's not from me. I don't take any pleasure in the beatings that you're giving yourself. Do well, Cain. Let go of this growing bitterness towards your brother. Let it go, and I, the Lord God Jehovah, I will lift up your head. God is calling to lift up our head, not to rub our nose in it. Mastering sin starts as a determination not to surrender to it. Wouldn't it be great if we had the power to not do what we really don't want to do? Wouldn't it be great if the thing to do would be to say, God, I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again? Boy, if that doesn't just come right back in your face. It may be, it may be days or weeks, or it may be minutes. Mastering sin starts as a determination not to surrender, not to give up, to lust, to envy, to resentment, to shame, or to fear, but to resist it and to fight its battles in our heart before it spreads to controlling all of our actions. Sin's final defeat is up to God's work in us, but the holding action is ours. That means that if you sinned three minutes ago for the fifth time today, and the very thing that you have been praying about and trying not to, now is not to say, I give up. And if you say it, repent of it. Just get up on your two feet, or down on your two knees, and refuse to quit. Do not surrender to the sin. Tell God, I'm trying and I'm failing. I'm trying and I'm failing. But I've, I've got my vision and my eyes set on you. And you will rescue me. You will rescue me one day. I'm going to just resist. I'm just, I can't conquer it, but I am not going to surrender to it. 
So it's more a question of who do you surrender to? Do you surrender to the sin or do you surrender to Christ? But Cain chose to surrender to his hatred rather to, to his creator father. Abel's offering pleased God, but that's all that it did. It was an offering with thanksgiving and honor, and, 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 and it was done in spirit and in truth, and that's all good. It was the best that Abel or that any of us could ever do in worship. But it's really never enough. Nothing we can do can atone for sin. Ours or anybody else's, let alone conquer it. There was never a reason for Cain to be so jealous of Abel. Abel's offering couldn't and didn't defeat sin in Abel's life or Cain's life or anybody until God himself became the offering and the sacrifice. No human effort could ever restore what was lost or resurrect what death had rightfully claimed. It was our job to resist continues to be, and to not surrender. So how do you, how you interpret this passage, how you finally interpret this passage is up to you, and there are a lot of different interpretations. But if you stay true to the story, whatever else you may see, you will have to see that how we treat each other affects our worship and the quality of our relationship with God. And God talks to Cain about, to Cain about the sin that is crouching at his door, and Gail's drawn this incredible picture of that sin. But the fact of the matter is that mastering sin or, or even resisting it is difficult because it's not just this beast that's outside the door of our heart. Sin is difficult to resist and overcome because it is woven into who we are. And it's not, this isn't, this isn't remarkable. This is the experience of all of humanity. And even Paul, the Apostle Paul, just comes right out and says it in his letter to Roman believers. He says, for the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it but sin that dwells within me. I find then that the principle that, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully confer or concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? from the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Sin is woven in to us. And part of the problem is that we can't defeat sin because the life of sin is bound together with our own. Only the final baptism will change that, will free us completely. When we see Jesus face to face, if we've remained faithful, if we haven't given up, if we overcome, 
only the final joining of our old man to the death of Jesus so that the new man is resurrected and can rise up fresh as a new dawn in Eden. And that's what we celebrate this morning. And my only question to you in all of this is, do you know Jesus Christ? If you have given up just this morning, or just now, the oddest things can happen on the way to worship with the family in the car. And they can destroy a whole morning of worship. If it happened again, don't give Satan the satisfaction. Stand up and resist. Join the fight. Throw yourself in God's hands. And if you fail again, you fail again. Just keep getting up. And I promise you there will come a time when God will give you strength, when God will give you victory. There will be a final time when we finally see him where that will be rooted out. Every last cancerous tendril of sin's destruction will be rooted out of us and we will be free.